I'm Megan Gibson, Executive Editor at The New Statesman in London. I'm very pleased to welcome listeners to a special episode of World Review in partnership with Friedrich Ebert Schiffchung, or FES. Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February upended politics around the world, and in Germany in particular. Just days after the war began, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz gave a landmark speech in which he declared a Zeitenwender, a turning point in history. The 24th of February 2022 marks a watershed in the history of our continent. With the attack on Ukraine, Russian President Putin has started a war of aggression in cold blood. It is clear we must invest more in the security of our country in order to protect our freedom and democracy. But what direction exactly is history turning in? And how can Germany navigate the changes and challenges it now faces? To help us unpack the gravity behind this pivot and put the obstacles for Germany's coalition government in context, I'm joined today by Katarina Bartley, Vice President of the European Parliament and a leading figure in Germany's Social Democratic Party. Katarina, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So to start off, I was hoping that you could give us the context to how Germany approached foreign policy before Putin invaded Ukraine. What was the overall ethos, its foreign policy sacred cows, I guess you could say? Of course, Germany is very much aware of its past, its history, and the recent past, so to say, the last 80 years, and or say 100. And it is... It still is, I hope, one of the lessons that we have learned from our responsibility in First and Second World War, that we never want to be the starting point or even part of such a development again. So we have been dedicated to peacekeeping and mises and multilateralism throughout the last decades, especially since we call it Ostpolitik in, in, in German. So the politics towards the East, he really, he really opened a new chapter there. And we all, Germany, but all, especially, of course, the Social Democrats have been very proud of this. So this is actually the context. We have always been very firm in being part of NATO, in, in Western alliances, but it was also always clear that we would not take a leading role in this. What we did once was take a different decision than others when it came to the war in Iraq. Germany, under the Chancellor Gerhard Schröder at the time, did not enter this war for reasons that we understand better now. I think all of us, I think it was the right decision. But apart from that, usually we were part of NATO and, as I said, all these alliances that we have. And now with this, with these developments, Russia invading Ukraine and the terrible war that we are witnessing of Russia against Ukraine, things have changed for all of us. We see that we have to become more active, that we have to play a more important role, but it will still be within this historical context. And I guess just to kind of recap, as laid out in Olaf Schultz's very monumental speech, what were the elements of this new direction? What 
policies did he announce? Well, the probably most prominent and most significant change is the attitude towards our own military. The Bundeswehr, our army, had always been, well, not always, it took some time, but when it was put up again after the Second World War, it was, of course, part of our politics, part of our society, but all completely different to what you would witness in France, the UK, or the United States. There was nothing like being proud of your army or seeing them as heroes like that is in other countries. This is not at all the culture in post-war Germany. And I'm not sure that we're ever going to get there because of our historical background. I don't know if we should wish to go there, but to have a more relaxed, maybe you could call it, relationship towards military, towards our own army, is certainly something that is part of this Zeitenwende, as we call it, this fundamental change in our politics. And that goes in line with financial contributions compared to the size of our country. The Bundeswehr was not particularly big and it was definitely not well equipped. That you also have to know nowadays when you, when everyone calls for German military support towards Ukraine, we have a relatively small army, which is definitely compared to other countries, badly equipped. And this has changed. Olaf Scholz promising to invest more than 2% of the BNP for, for the military and this program of a hundred billion euros investment. This is something that would not have been possible a year ago and not been accepted by most of the political forces and parties. And when Schultz made that speech, how much of German society and German political forces, as you said, how much, how much support did he have behind him? First of all, everyone was very surprised. If you watch the whole debate, you can see that the leader of the opposition of the Conservative Party, he was not at all prepared for that. So he kind of replied to the speech that he thought Olaf Scholz would have would evolved, which he didn't. So he was quite confused. And I know that only very few people around Olaf Scholz knew what kind of speech this would become. And the reaction was really overwhelming that I say now as a member of the European Parliament, because the other European countries and their representatives here in Brussels were absolutely thrilled. And I would even use the word maybe grateful because, of course, everybody sees what responsibility and what, what huge challenges are waiting now for just about every member state. And at the time, it was especially the security aspect that was challenged. And to see Germany step up and say, yes, we're going to take our share. We're going to carry the burden with you. And we might even take a role that is appropriate to or proportionate to our size and economic importance, I think that was very important. And we got a lot of support all across Europe and almost completely across the political families, of course, not entirely. So I think it's fair to say since that very pivotal speech, 
there's been some criticism that momentum has stalled, that the change hasn't been swift enough. What were and still are the tangible obstacles to enacting these? Well, I already touched upon, I think, the most important point is that we don't, we didn't have the structures and the means up to now. And also this, the stance that the Bundeswehr had in society, in politics, and probably then as a consequence of that, their self-estimation that really all of this has to change now very quickly. And I don't know how many of, of the people who listen know administration from the inside. It's sometimes like a, a huge vessel that you try to move and to change direction. It's not, it doesn't, of course, work from one day to the other. And the for example, the money that you attribute to a certain policy field, you cannot spend it within a week. That's not how it works. You have to really go through parliamentary procedures and then you have to, you then have public procurement and whatever. So it is a political decision and it is being put in place. But of course, the effects you will see over time and to react to this war in an appropriate way still is difficult for us because at the moment we don't have the tanks that are being, that they need or, or we have them and they don't work in that way that would be needed. So it, I know that it's difficult for our partners and our our fellow member states to really understand that, but it has so much to do with how Bundeswehr was seen before this Russian war. And I guess looking past the war, in what other ways will this shift in direction change the way Germany deals with other nations, whether it's EU allies or the US or China? Olaf Scholz has made very clear in words, but also in action, that this shift does not mean Germany will be, will take the lead and decide things and then others have to follow. That's not how it's going to be. And it's not intended like that. For example, he, it was of course a very conscious decision not to go to Kiev alone, but to go with other rulers of states or governments. I think that is the message. Germany is going to take its responsibility, but it is not going to, or even trying to, to rule Europe or something like that. But it is still going to stick to, especially multilateralism, so finding allies and going forward together. And this, of course, can also apply to the relationship towards other countries and towards Russia. I know that everyone was aware also before that you can only act towards US or China or other big forces jointly. And, and this is where probably now Germany will step up even more. But that has already been the case because of the economic power that, that we are having. And we are, have been taking this res responsibility for a long time within the European Union and outside of it. Now, to further discuss Germany and the Zeitenwende, I'm joined by a panel of special guests. Sophia Besch, a senior research fellow at the Center for European Reform, where she works on European defense issues, including NATO and German foreign policy. She joined us from Berlin. Christos Katsulis, 
currently heads FES's Regional Office for Cooperation and Peace in Europe. He's in, B- in Vienna. And Jeremy Cliff, New Statesman's Writer-at-Large in Berlin. Thank you all for joining me. So Christos, I want to start with you. The FES recently hosted a conference titled Zeitenwender Into a New Era, in which the question of how security, peace, and freedom in Europe will need to be reconsidered and simultaneously defended was explored. At the conference, SPD Chair Lars Klingbeil gave what was viewed as a pretty remarkable speech. So for the benefit of our listeners, I was wondering if you could recount the substance of his speech. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. Yeah, his speech was remarkable because what he tried to do is define the Zeitenwende, give meaning to what is happening right now in German foreign policy, especially in the social democracy, meaning in the SPD. And what was remarkable also about his speech was the substance. He was talking about changing world order, where different centers, flexible centers are important and need to be attractive uh, for him, of course, and that is not so new. Europe is one of these centers and should become one of these centers. But when he talked about Germany's role in this kind of new Europe, he went again into re- the remarkable space of talking about leadership role of Germany, which is especially in the term he used, Führungsmacht, which is a leading power, not very often used in the discourse of the social democracy in Germany. So that was also remarkable. And I think the third thing I'd like to mention is that he tried to put the use of military power into the normal realm of foreign policy, which is also, as you know, something that is new for Germany. But as a son of a soldier, he was able to link that to his personal situation as well. And of course, to the current situation of the war in Ukraine. So these are the three points I'd like to mention, but there was, of course, there was a lot more he was talking for like half an hour. And what was the response to his speech? Obviously, we had in the days right after the Russia's invasion, we had Olaf Scholz's remarkable speech. And the response to that was really, really positive and incredible. And of course, I think enthusiasm amongst Germany's allies has waned a bit since then. So what was the response from Lars's speech? The response is twofold. You have applause from one side, believing that this is necessary to change or shift Germany's position in the long term. Because what Olaf Scholz was doing on the 27th of February, he announced 100 billion euros for the Bundeswehr. And that was some something done. That was the implementation of the Zeitmann or part of the implementation of the Zeitmann was what Lars Klingbeil was doing is far more difficult, give meaning to what this Zeitmann could mean for Germany in the long term and link it also with the past, meaning the foreign policy that has led up to this point and trying not to be only critical, which he was on the one side, but also to link it with the positive achievements of German foreign policy. Jeremy, I wanted to bring you in because I know as someone who's written about German politics and foreign policy a lot in recent years, not least for the New Statesman. I know you have a lot of thoughts of this. What did you think of the speech? I think it was one of the most significant interventions since Olaf Scholz's original Zeitenwender speech on the 27th of February. And and I'm saying that as an observer of Germany, not just because we're in partnership with the FES. I think it was a genuinely important speech. And important because it moved the debate on. And it, I think, started the big job of trying to change the mentality of the German strategic culture. 
we had this original speech by Olaf Scholz. It was this big moment. There was this 100 billion now voted through by the Bundestag. But I and others, I think, have feared that one speech and one one-off lump of money does not a Zeitenwender make. And I think in many ways, we should really see Scholz's original comments as a starting, a process that will take a lot of time, that will m- mean binding in a lot of people, engaging with the German population about their country's role in the world. What we need is, you could call it a Zeitenwende im Kopf, a turning point in people's heads in how people see their country. And I think that Klingbar's speech was really important in, in advancing that process. I was struck by a number of comments he made, including the, the reference to Führungsmacht, as Christos says. But another was a, an anecdote that he used where he talked about having a visit from social democratic colleagues from Lithuania who said they worried about Putin attacking their country. And he said, my first instinct was to say, no, that's ridiculous. He wouldn't attack the Baltics. But then he said, but then I realized this is exactly the sort of reflex that I need to start challenging. And I think that captures this sense that the old assumptions and the old impulses that have guided Germany's strategic culture for many decades really need to be changed. And that is a much bigger and more long-term process than simply one big speech and one big pot of money. Sophia, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that the SPD and the coalition government, are they up to that challenge of moving beyond beyond rhetoric? Yeah, thanks, Megan. And thanks so much for having me on. So I agree with a lot what Jeremy and Christos have said. I do think it's worth noting, because I know you have an international audience, that a lot of what Klingbeil has said will seem really quite self-evident, I think, to, to non-Germans, perhaps even banal. But it does have a huge impact here and it does mark a huge Caesar with previous SPD politics. Look, I think there are two things we have to look at when we look at the Zeitenwende discussion in Germany. And one is substance and one is communication. And both have been criticized in recent months. I think that with this last Klingberg speech, we have made some strides forward when it comes to communication. But we should note that there were other speeches by SPD representatives this week. The head of the Chancery Office, the Chief Foreign Policy Advisor to Schultz, that perhaps in substance were not that different, but didn't quite strike the right tone as much as Klingbeil did. So if you say, for instance, look at the conversation on Ukraine membership, uh, Klingbeil said that there couldn't be any fast-checking, that we had to look at the Copenhagen criteria, but that this was a geopolitical project and to not get bogged down in bureaucracy. And then Plattner, the chief foreign policy advisor to Scholz, said something along the lines of there shouldn't be a membership discount for Ukraine and just because you've been attacked doesn't make you better when it comes to the rule of law. And that's quite reminiscent, I think, of the dreaded German do-your-homework rhetoric of previous years. And we're not quite there yet, I think, when it comes to communication. When it comes to substance, I couldn't agree more with Jeremy that this is a Zeitenwende. It's a, a turning process rather than a turning point. But this has also been the week of the announcement that we are finally sending, having arms to Ukraine. We have finally sent the howitzers. And so we've seen some progress here, too. If I may briefly come in there, I think the point about communication is just so important here. Obviously, there are questions of substance around the criticisms of of the Zeitenwende, including this question of how long it took Germany to start sending these heavy weapons. But I do think it's also questions of presentation. And I think that there is a fair criticism to be leveled at Schultz and his team for not doing more to build on the speech in their communication strategy to reach out to the German population, to actually engage people in that debate. And I think it did create, particularly in the month or so of the war, it did create a bit of a vacuum. And I think it's welcome that interventions like that of Klingweil at the FES conference are starting to fill that. 
I think there is something to say about Merkel didn't say much. She didn't really have a vision. She put substance over show. She wasn't a particularly engaging orator. And yet she was the leader of the liberal world and Scholz is being criticized for being the same way. I think some people in the Chancellor's office might see it that way. But I think that would be quite short-sighted. The reason that we're talking about communication so much, if everyone always misunderstands you, then maybe you're the common factor and maybe yeah. you need to reflect Absolutely. on why that is. And I agree that the communication strategy has been quite defensive, outlining what Germany wouldn't do rather than focusing on what it does. And Scholz appeared at times resentful that people were expecting him to explain himself. I think what we need to realize is that Europeans are not giving this government, are not giving the SPD the benefit of the doubt, right? There is an atmosphere of distrust because of Germany's past mistakes. And you can't get annoyed at that. <laughs> Schultz has re said recently that he was annoyed that people kept misunderstanding his party. And I agree, I don't think much of the substance is actually that, that problematic. But eventually, Germany is going to have to work to regain that trust. And I think the Klingbeil speech, his self-reflection and his humility were a good start there. Concerning communication, I couldn't agree more. But I also think that the pot of money, as Jeremy put it, the 100 billion euros for the Bundeswehr is also catching up with developments and regaining trust with the Allies uh, by just having the capabilities. And just one minor point on what Sophia mentioned. I do agree there were a lot of speeches these, this week. But the foreign policy advisor of Olaf Scholz, Jens Plöder, he's not an SPD politician. He's a diplomat. So I wouldn't count that together with the other speeches because it was a different format and we shouldn't put that in the same direction as the speech of Lars. You've all mentioned that we've seen just in recent days that some clear signals that Germany is ready to match rhetoric with action, whether it's Scholz's visit to Kiev, the backing Ukraine for EU candidate status. What are some other signs that you would be on the lookout for from the government that they are keeping up the momentum and not allowing another vacuum, as Jeremy mentioned, to kind of open itself up? If I may start, and I'm sure Sophia and Jeremy will add a few points here. I think what we're seeing is a government on the lookout for up. They're still in the fog of war because what we've seen about the weapons deliveries on the one hand, they were arguing we couldn't talk about them. And last week, they published a list, a PDF list, um, about all these weapons that have been delivered down to the shots of ammunition that have been sent to Ukraine. So there, there's a lot going on right now. For me, the important factor is what Jeremy mentioned before, the mental Zeitenwende, the Zeitenwende in, the, in, in, in Kopf, meaning a change of strategic culture in Europe and in Germany. And therefore, what I would be on the lookout for is the national security strategy that the government right now is preparing. And that will hopefully reflect the, the new role Germany has to um, take on in Europe, but also the new situation concerning dependencies from Russia, but also um, concerning China in the long term. That will be the main lookout for me. What I'm looking at, I think, is the sustainability of this change, right? And I think there's three points in particular. One, the question is, does this sustain throughout the crisis that is about to come at home for one? So how is this government going to deal with the weakening of resolve caused by inflation and energy and gas supply issues, but also abroad, right? How will we deal with a changing global narrative that is promoted by Russia and by China? that Europe is causing the crisis in, in food and fertilizer. If we're not unequivocally the good guy, will we be able to sustain this policy? And then 
Another question I'm asking is whether this extends to China, right? Does this new stance extend beyond Russia and beyond this current crisis? And if we look at China, of course, Germany's economic dependency is worse there. And we are seeing some beginnings of a new narrative of economic diversification, but also a repeated stance that Russia and China are not the same thing. We shouldn't promote decoupling. So there's very much an, a developing government stance here that I think we should look at. And then the third thing I'm looking at is whether coming back to this change in our mentality, and I think it's that's not only just about the world being tougher than we thought it was, military power still being relevant and autocracies not becoming democracies over time and trade, but also that we can do something about it, right? So does this go lead to Germany taking on more of a leadership role in European foreign and defense policy, in NATO, on capability development, on EU foreign policy reforms, which Scholz is calling for? but also on formulating geopolitical maxims, right? So what's going to replace the change through trade idea? And what should be Europe's response to the U.S. autocracies versus democracies maxim? So this is, it's quite broad, but I'm really more interested at the moment on how sustainable the change is rather than how dramatic it is, if you will. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think that uh, as an example of the need to build sustainable support for this among the German population, there is this 100 billion euros, but that will probably top up the existing military budget for three or four years. Um, and what happens then beyond that is completely open. And as Christos mentioned, that money really is just to plug gaps in what's already there. It's about clearing a backlog of modernization. It's not about developing new capabilities or, or, or reshaping Germany's place in the world. And I think to put that budget on a sustainably higher level, you need to have the big debate and it needs to encompass the whole electorate. For my part, I think a, a big question remains over where Germany goes on weapons exports. The, the heavy weapons are now starting to flow. Next month, Germany is sending its Gepard anti-aircraft tanks to Ukraine. But there's still a question about whether it will send its battle tanks, its Marders and Le Leopards. Now, that's a, a sensitive topic for the government, which I think fears that to send those, and they are currently sitting in depots here in Germany, to Ukraine would be too much of a provocation to Russia. And that sort of thinking is expressed in concerns like that voiced by Olaf Scholz the other day when he said he wasn't, or a few weeks ago, he said he wasn't Wilhelm II, the German Kaiser ahead of the First World War. He has this clearly this ongoing concern about dragging Germany into a conflict unnecessarily. So I see the kind of the decision about those battle tanks as being symptomatic of a willingness to rethink some of those assumptions and actually ask, what is the biggest threat to Germany's security? Is it that Russia feels offended or feels humiliated? Or is it actually that Ukraine gets pushed back on the battlefield and a dangerous precedent in Europe is set? So I see that question about the battle tanks as a proxy for a much bigger debate, which goes to this point about long-term mentality. And here, I think we, we're in one of the classic conundrums of German foreign policy. Because on the one hand, Germany wants to obtain a leadership role, but on the other hand, it very much relies on unity of the allies. And from my point of view, the tank decision will come if the Americans, the British and the French are starting sending their tanks to Ukraine, and then Germany will go along with that. But I don't think that such a bold move as being the first country sending Western-type tanks will be something we can expect from this government, to be honest. You mentioned change through trade. I think that is one of the issues that needs to change in Germany because we have this kind of compartmentalization of economics on the one hand, foreign and security policy on the other hand. And I fear that there are still forces inside the country that will try to get back to that, doing just our trade and not looking at security. 
And that will be also one of the issues that needs to change, needs to be part of this Zeitman in Kopf. Mm. No, I was just going to say on the battle tanks, I think I agree that it is unrealistic that they will be sent, un unfortunately. But to the point, should Germany wait for Britain or France or the US to set the agenda on that front? Actually, I think part of this shift needs to be moving to a Germany that starts to ask of questions like that. Why not? Why shouldn't Germany set the impetus on something like that? It is the biggest European economy. It will soon have the largest European defense budget. It is geographically very close to Ukraine. It has these resources. Is there any really good reason we haven't done this sort of thing before to say Germany can't provide that sort of leadership? I, I agree. I don't think it will happen, but I think getting to a point where it could happen is a good litmus test of whether this becomes more concrete. Can we discuss the role that energy, since we've been discussing sustainability so much, the role of gas and oil and energy that this has played in this whole whole debate? I think that's a very good example of what I mentioned before, this compartmentalization between economics on the one hand and security policy or dependency on the other hand. Germany, and Lars Klingbeil said that in his speech, has become rather comfortable in this we're trading with the world and not looking at security risks. And right now we're waking up to a world that is far colder and da more dangerous than we would like to have it. So what we see right now is a government that is ready to compromise. The Green Party is starting to burn coal for electricity, for example. We have an honest debate, also including the Green Party, about nuclear, which I don't think will come again. But nonetheless, there are taboos being opened up and the long, long-term perspective is very clear that Germany wants to go in this kind of renewable future being a climate-neutral economy. But the longer-term question, I don't think, are about energy dependency. It's about technology dependency and dependency from China, which will be the far more difficult question into the future. And Sophia mentioned that as well. Yeah, I think that I would agree with that. I think the energy question is so interesting because in a way, this government, the SPD, Greens and FDP coalition, wouldn't probably necessarily have chosen defense and security policy as their big project, but they would have chosen energy policy, right? The sustainable transition was always going to be a big priority of this government. And we are now seeing that this war in Ukraine is really showing up the mistakes that have been made in the past and also the blind spots and the taboos with the really difficult debate over nuclear energy that Christos has mentioned. I do think that we're lucky that our current minister for that is who's responsible for this, Habeck, is quite a good political communicator. So he's slowly walking the German public through the difficulties with gas supplies and talks about what it means that we no longer want to get energy from Russia, but we might have to get it from other autocracies. So there's obviously, again, it's a sort of public education around the geopolitics of energy that, that Germany is currently going through. And it's at times painful, but I think it's, it's absolutely necessary and we might be on the right track here. As Sophia says, it was already part of this ample traffic light government's agenda to try and accelerate Germany's move out of fossil fuels. It was also part of its agenda, I think, to make Germany more geostrategically savvy and I think to revisit some of the old assumptions. But what the war has done on all of these fronts, whether it's on foreign policy, defense or energy, is it, it's given those agendas a massive push and it's forced debates that would otherwise perhaps have taken longer or perhaps even been sidelined by the flow of other events. And I think that a sort of a slightly optimistic take on this is that it, it is an opportunity for Germany to 
have some big discussions about its future geo geopolitical and energy setup. And if it embraces that opportunity, it can really prepare itself well for the coming decades. I, I would fully agree with that because I think for the first time Germany feels or Germans feel shaken by an outside crisis. And that is indeed an opportunity to work on our strategic culture. So that's it for this special episode of World Review, produced in partnership with Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. Many thanks to all of our guests and to the FES for your support. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Until next time.